This Christmas season, we've been reflecting together on the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel. And last Sunday, we spent some time talking about uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat, uh, as many of us know it. Um, uh, and, and that song came about as she was reflecting on the good news of the Christmas story that had been proclaimed to her, that she would bear God's own son, Jesus. Um, but she wasn't the only one to sing um, reflecting upon this good news. Uh, this morning's story, we're going to hear from Zechariah, and we're going to hear his song. So I'm going to read for us a story. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles and follow along with me, or if you want to use one of the Bibles in the pews, you can find um, this on page 856 and 857. So let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant word, uh, beginning Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him just briefly now as we seek his help as we come to this passage. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we indeed need to hear your voice this morning. We need you to speak to us, to remind us of the wonders of the Christmas story, to captivate us again, 
with this good news of Jesus. Father, would you remind us, even as we sit beneath your word, that though we all arrived here at different places, some of us confused, others of us hurting, um, others of us skeptical of the truth of your word, maybe even surprised to find ourselves in a church this morning, still others excited to gather and be with your people. Would you remind us as we sit beneath your word this morning that the truth is that we're all the same. We are all far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so together we need to hear the hope of the good news of Jesus, to be reminded that it can be true of us, that we can both at the same time be far more broken than we could ever imagine, and also far more loved and secure and accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. Father, take us to this good news this morning and change us by it, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, my hope for us this morning as we look together at this passage is that we would really connect uh, with Zechariah's story here. Uh, There are some extraordinary things in this story, to be sure. Um, There is a miraculous birth of a son uh, to Elizabeth, who had been barren and, and was in old age. There was Zechariah being struck deaf and mute and then miraculously healed and is prophesying by the Holy Spirit. So there are some extraordinary things in this passage. Um, but we need to connect with Zechariah this morning because in many ways his story is also very, very ordinary. Um, He's just like us, and just like he was changed by the Christmas story, we need the hope this morning that we also can be changed by the Christmas story. I know some of you either are or currently have been at some point in your life. Um, You've been involved in some kind of support group. Uh, Maybe it was uh, because you were facing um, a particular medical crisis in your life or you were battling an addiction or maybe it was you were learning how to walk through life with someone who was facing medical crisis or an addiction or maybe it was support for dealing with a particular trauma in your life or going through a major life change or some kind of grief. Um, these support groups can be incredibly powerful and healing. Um, I, I attended one of these groups for a period of time when I was struggling with something very difficult in my life. And I, I will admit, when I first walked into those rooms to sit with a bunch of strangers, um, I didn't know what to expect at first. Um, I didn't know how this could possibly help me. Um, but on this side of things, um, I'm not even sure I could begin to put into words how healing and powerful it was just to sit and listen sometimes um, and to connect with others who are facing a similar struggle in their lives, Um, to hear others share their fears, uh, their anger, their grief, their sorrows, the way they were trying to cope with things in their lives, uh, with the pain they were exper- experiencing. 
and the healing and clarity that came from just being able to connect with others who were in a similar situation in life was just unbelievably powerful for me. And I know for some of you this morning that it's been the same in your life. Um, And so many times when you're sitting in these rooms, you sit there and you think, even as you're just listening, you think, that's me. Uh, You know, I've felt that. I've hurt like that. I've been there before. I've desperately needed hope like that before. Um, And see, I'm telling you all this because I want you to connect with Zechariah in a similar way this morning. Um, I I know his story is extraordinary in some ways, but in other ways, he's just like you. Um, And he's a man who struggled in his life with coldness and unbelief um, and suspicion. And he's a man who needed hope. He's a man who needed redemption. Um, And if you listen closely to his story, I think you'll be able to say uh, with him, I get it. I've been there before. Uh, I know what that feels like. I've hurt like that. I've needed hope like that before. Um, And and if you do, then you're going to be able to experience the same kind of freedom and the same kind of joy and healing that he found. Um, There are a lot of verses here this morning. We read a big section of verses, so we're not going to be able to get to everything. But there are three things that I really want us to connect with in this story. Here they are. First, I want us to talk about understanding pain's purpose in our lives. Um, If you could connect with Zechariah, he has something to tell you about that. And then second, we need to talk about how we also, like Zechariah, need to see God's big picture. And then third, how we need to realize our freedom in order to serve God. So those are our three points this morning. Understand pain's purpose, see God's big picture, and realize our freedom to serve. First, understand pain's purpose. I don't need to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, Life is hard. Um, To live in a broken world um, is to know pain. Um, Some of us um, need to be reminded that that none of us can ever escape it in this life. You cannot make yourself immune to pain. It comes into all of our lives. But when you understand pain's purpose, that's when it has the power to change and transform you. So let me just put it like this. Pain's purpose is to drive you into the arms of your Father of mercy. Here's the story. Um, Zechariah, he was this is earlier in chapter 1, so you can go back and look in the early parts of chapter 1, but Zechariah was visited by this angel Gabriel who told him that his wife Elizabeth, though she had been barren, though she was old of age, uh, that she would give birth to a son and his name would be John. Um, But because of Zechariah's disbelief um, in, in God's promise, Gabriel told him that he would be deaf and mute until his son was born. Um, that is, Zechariah, you will be handicapped. You will be painfully frustrated in your life 
until your son is born. And, and that catches us up with today's story, where Elizabeth gave birth to this son, um, and his parents took him to be circumcised, and everyone there, um, all their family members, the priests, and everybody who was involved, uh, they all assumed that he would just be given a family name, as was the custom. In the middle of verse 59, it says, and, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, you know, Zeke Jr., or something like that. But but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John, right? And, and so confused, they appealed to Zechariah. And this is my favorite part of this story. Um, deaf and mute, Zechariah took a writing tablet, and in verse 63, he wrote simply, his name is John. Here's what I love about this. He didn't write, he will be called John. He didn't write, he will be named John. He wrote, his name is John, <laughs> right? In other words, he now believed God. He, he now believed that God had already named this child nine months ago when the angel Gabriel appeared to him. And so he says simply, his name is John. And Luke tells us in verse 64 that as soon as Zechariah said this, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And that was an outward sign of an inward change in Zechariah's life. His hardened unbelief had been replaced with passionate, convicted belief. Here's the point. God brought pain and suffering into Zechariah's life to drive him into his father's arms of mercy, trusting his promises. You know, on the surface, you can look at this story, and so much of it does seem extraordinary to us. This man who struck deaf and mute and then miraculously healed. But the biggest miracle in this story is the healing of Zechariah's heart. How God used pain in his life to heal Zechariah's heart. You think about the pain and the suffering that we feel and experience in this life. Maybe God doesn't come and take your speech away. But maybe in his providence he comes and he takes away the approval you so desperately chase in your life. Or the approval of your coworkers or your friends or maybe even your spouse. Or maybe he comes and he takes away the comfort that you've labored for so much in this life, that you've pursued so diligently, that you've protected with a passion in your life. Or maybe He takes away the security that you've always hoped for, right, in your career or your position or in a predictable future or in a padded bank account. Or maybe He comes and takes away your health or takes away the health of one of your loved ones. You know, I, I don't have time to unfold this next bit in detail, but some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about here. Because sometimes the pain we experience in life, this life, it doesn't come through loss, but it comes through getting the very things we thought would make us happy in this life. Right? When you get the thing you'd been chasing for so long, only to realize how empty you still are, I mean, that is incredibly deep pain in this life. And I'm walking a, a, a bit of a line here, but listen to me clearly in this next part. If your sin and mine had a virtue, I'm not saying that sin has any virtue, but if it had a virtue, it would have to be how 
unsatisfied and empty it leaves you in your life time after time after time. See, whether the pain in your life comes through loss or in getting the very things you thought would make you happy, I'm asking you the question, have you learned to understand pain's purpose in your life? Maybe this is unique to my generation, Um, so younger people, sorry you didn't get to grow up like this, but I grew up watching a lot of old westerns with uh, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, those types. And in every Western, it seems, that I've ever seen, there was always a scene that includes um, a blacksmith doing his work. I don't know what, what the deal is, like that solidifies it being said in that era, but, you know, there he is, he's dirty and he's sweating over this hot fire and he's reaching into this blazing hot fire with a pair of tongs and he pulls out this piece of metal that he places on a hand anvil and he's shaping it into the perfect shape for a horseshoe. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about a little bit here. Um, how he places that red hot glowing piece of metal on that anvil and then he strikes it over and over with his hammer. And the sparks are flying, right? And the metal is bending and it's conforming to its shape and you hear that metallic ping over and over as the the hammer strikes it, multiple trips back to the fire and under the hammer until it's exactly the right fit. How is it that pain and suffering and heartache can be transformed to you? It's when you understand pain's purpose in the hands of a merciful God that He is driving you into His arms of mercy with every blow of His hammer that He is consuming the dross of your life, that He's tearing you apart from what will only leave you empty in this life in order to give you Himself. He's teaching us that our idols of comfort, of security, of wealth, of approval, of success, they will never give us the rest we hope for. As St. Augustine put it 1,700 years ago, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. The pain in your life may feel like hell, but it is God's mercy to you, driving you into His arms to trust His promises and to find the rest you are made to enjoy in this life. Can you look at your life and understand pain's purpose? Zechariah did, and this story says it changed him. His name is John, Zechariah said. Okay, second, Zechariah's story teaches us to see God's big picture. That's really what Zechariah's song is about in verses 68 through 79 and what this song teaches us. In in short, um, I'll just put in this short little song, there are some 33 allusions and quotations to the Old Testament in just those few verses. 33. See, what, I, what Zechariah is doing is he's standing back, and, and his doubting, unbelieving tunnel vision has been replaced with this big picture, this big story of God's redemption. To be changed like Zechariah, God has to come and open up your eyes to see the big picture of His redemption in His Word. Now, obviously, we can't chase all 33 illusions here. Um, we'd be here all day. But the main, thing he's, main things he's singing about in these verses are God's promise to David and to Abraham. 
Zechariah was taking in the big picture, tracing the arc of redemption in God's story. Um, And here it is. First, God's promise to David, David, verse 69. He says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Who was David? Most of you are familiar with that character. He's a big deal in the Bible. He was the preeminent king in Israel's history. He was their leader, their protector, their conqueror of Israel's enemies. He was their savior. But his kingly reign, the Bible says, was just a shadow of the true and rightful king to come. In 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7, God spoke to David about a future descendant of his who would come and establish his kingdom forever and ever. Zechariah is standing back and he's seeing this big picture unfurled before him. You know, in verse 68, the first line of this song, in the Greek, Zechariah used a a, a Greek verb that was in the prophetic aorist tense. Now, you don't need to remember that. Here's all that that means. When he said, God has visited and redeemed his people, it's all in the past tense. And it's because he's saying, even though Jesus hasn't been born yet, I now see the big picture and it's as good as done, right? God was sending his true and rightful king into the world. Tolkien in his Lord of the Rings famously said, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Zechariah is saying it's as good as done. The rightful king is coming to redeem and heal God's broken world. Now, not switch gears too quickly, but we need to move on. Second, Zechariah also considered God's promise to Abraham. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Real briefly, Abraham, this old man that God had come to and promised to make him into a great nation, and even beyond that, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Zechariah is standing back and seeing God's big picture. All God's promised mercy is coming to fruition in this person, Jesus. God was coming to redeem and heal the nations. Sure, there are some extraordinary things about Zechariah's story here, but it's also so, so very ordinary. Because do you, see, do you understand what he's doing? He's just reading his Bible, that's all. He's reading his Bible to see God's big picture of redemption. A long time ago, my parents lived in Colorado Springs for a few years. And Colorado Springs, if you don't know, it's nestled up uh, in the Rocky Mountains. And, it's, and it is a certain kind of beauty to stand there uh, in the city at the base of the mountain and look up and see the mountain peaks in their grandeur. Uh, but to get to the top of one of those peaks is a whole other kind of beauty. To get to the top and look out from that vantage point where you're able to see all the other peaks you couldn't see from the base, where you're able to see all the rising peaks and the deep valleys and see for miles and miles in every direction, that's another kind of beauty altogether. We've all heard the old adage, we probably used it, you know, don't miss the forest for the trees. Um, If you can only see what's right in front of you, you'll miss the forest that you're standing in, right? Are you reading your Bible 
to see the big picture, to see the, the beauty of the mountain range, the forest, as it were. Once every couple of years or so, I read one of my favorite quotes from Sinclair Ferguson. Um, this quote I've, refer, I, I've used a lot of times in my life to remind myself of God's big picture um, and how every story in the Bible is being unfolded into this one big story about Jesus. Ferguson writes, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable and familiar and go out into the world not knowing where he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who is not just offered up by his father, but sacrificed by his father on the mount. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your only son whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say, now we know you love us because you did not withhold your only begotten son from us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David. You were supposed to laugh at the stupid friends part, but Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk losing his life, but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. He says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. I mean, on and on and on we could go. I mean, Jesus is the true Passover lamb, the true prophet, priest, and king, the true bread, the true temple, the true sacrifice, the true light, the true Sabbath. Something remarkable happens. When you can stand back and see God's big picture, you begin to see that Jesus is the center of this huge story of creation, fall, and redemption. And you know what? That's unbelievably freeing to us to realize that it's not ultimately about us, but it's ultimately about Jesus. I mean, Zechariah here in this passage, he wasn't a young man. He was mature. He was well on in his years. And like some of us, coldness and suspicion and hardness of heart had settled in to his life. But when he saw God's picture... He felt the healing touch of the true and rightful king, and it changed him, and life came back into his bones. Here's what's remarkable about that, and it's a twist, because when you see that this big story of God's Word is ultimately not about you, is when you realize that it is also about you. I mean, it's Jesus' story but the, ver- the Bible is telling us over and over that the very essence of His glory is His grace. 
and how God moved heaven and earth and all of history to rescue His creation and bringing glory to His Son. He's saying He sent His Son into the world for you, to rescue you, to set His love on you, to heal you, to redeem you. And that's the kind of news when it settles into your heart that will change you and put a new song in your mouth. All right, third and last, we need to realize our freedom to serve. What was God doing in fulfilling His promise? What was He doing in His plan to heal and redeem and deliver us? God was setting us free to serve Him. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. If you want to truly and be deeply changed by the Christmas story, you have to realize that. You have to realize that you have been set free to serve Jesus with your life. In verse 76, Zechariah was singing about his son John, uh, who had become to be, come to be known as John the Baptist, right? And he was singing about his role in God's redemptive plan. But he was also very clear that John's role was to point to someone else, to the Lord, to God's own Son. That's in verse 76. Who was coming, verse 77, to bring salvation and forgiveness to His people. In verse 78, He will be like the sun, come to dispel the darkness and the cold death of our hearts and lead us to peace. And He did that by coming and standing in our place where the deep darkness of God's judgment fell into His heart And he was crushed on that cross for us. And he did it by rising from the shadow of death, right? To proclaim forgiveness and mercy and salvation to you. He came to redeem you, to heal your heart, and to set you free. But but Zechariah is also saying he came to set you free for something. He came to set you free to serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness all your days. You've got to step into that. And realize that you've been set free to serve the true and rightful king. G.K. Chesterton, whether he said it or not, I don't know, but he's credited with saying something like, when man ceases to worship God, he does not worship nothing, but he worships everything instead. What he's saying is he's saying all of humanity is made to worship and serve something. It is written into your DNA. You cannot help it. If you refuse to worship and serve the living and true God, you won't stop worshiping and serving. You'll just worship and serve everything else. That's what Bob Dylan was singing about in that quote at the top of your bulletin, which I'm not going to read all those lyrics for you. But he was saying in his chorus, you're going to have to serve someone. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve someone. Um, Listen, his point is the same as Chesterton's. We all have to serve something or someone. We're bringing this full circle now. Why is it necessary for you to understand pain's purpose in your life? It's because God wants you to see the utter emptiness of serving your idols of health, of security, of comfort, of wealth, of success, of approval, whatever. Because He wants you to see that serving those idols only deepen your slavery, make you a slave to things you can't control in this life, make you a slave to everyone's opinion of you, or a slave to your work, or a slave to your checking account. 
Why is it necessary for you to see the big picture, see God's big picture of his promised redemption through Jesus? It's because you need to see what God has done in the sending of his son to redeem you from that very slavery to your idols. It's because you need to see that there's one true and rightful king. That it, and if you trust him, he will indeed set you free. Our hearts will stay restless until they come to rest in him. A couple of weeks ago, I watched one of my favorite movies, um, Blood Diamond, uh, has Leonardo DiCaprio in it. I'm not recommending it to everybody, but, um, and it's several years old now, but one of the main characters in that story is a guy named Solomon Vandy, um, and his young son named Dia was kidnapped from him uh, by rebel forces and involved in the illegal diamond trade. Um, and Dia, his son, was exposed to just horrific trauma in his life, and he was brainwashed by this rebel group and turned into a killer, and he was just like 10 or 11 years old, a child slave. Um, and so the father, Solomon Vandy, He's been trying to get to his son uh, throughout this entire story. He's trying to get to him and rescue him. And when he catches up to his son, his son is so brainwashed that he picks up a pistol and he aims it at his father, and there's just cold death in this child's eyes. But his father, Solomon, yells at him, Dia, look at me, right? And he looks at him in the eyes and this is what Solomon says to him. He says, You are Diavandi of the proud Mindy. Your mother loves you. And she waits by the fire making plantains and red palm stew with your sister Nyanda and the new baby. The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. And I am your father who loves you. And you will go home with me and be my son. Now, listen, with that, he embraces his son, and this is the movie. The son just goes limp, and the gun drops from his hand, and they embrace. What if the pain that God allows into your life really is meant to drive you into his arms, into his arms of mercy? What if you could read God's Word and in all its stories begin to hear the echo on every page, I am your Father who loves you. What if you realized your Father is calling you home to serve Him and find the rest you are meant to enjoy in this life? That would change you. It would change you like it changed Zechariah, and it would replace your cold unbelief with passionate conviction, and it would teach your heart to sing a new song. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning as we do each week um, for the good news of Jesus. We thank you at this time of year with special focus that you sent him into this world that he took on flesh, the God-man, in order that he could fulfill every law we couldn't fulfill, in order that he would satisfy your justice in our place. 
Father, change us with this wonderful good news that we may be indeed far more broken than we could ever imagine. But we are your children, and you love us. And we couldn't be loved with a more complete, more perfect love than yours. And Father, we pray that it would give us the rest our hearts long for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.